host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Chris Meany. Chris, what's going on, man? What's going on, Dmitry? Uh, exciting time of the season, man. NHL trade deadline has passed. Got a lot of uh, you know faces on new teams and the stretch here for the playoffs, not just real life NHL playoffs, but for fantasy managers. It's a really exciting time. Always a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. So the plan for today is, uh, as you mentioned, the trade headlines, the rearview mirror. We've got new players and new teams. And so we're going to identify some situations where, um, you know, uh, circumstances for a player changed, especially meaningfully, um, who stands to benefit from their new roles and hopefully help highlight some some actionable items for those that are still competing in their fantasy playoffs or for those who are, you know, doing daily fantasy or in the shop prop markets. Um We've only seen a couple games now for a lot of these guys uh, that have played with their new teams, but I think that provides an interesting kind of, you know, buying opportunity where maybe there's there's a bit of hype in some instances and and the opportunity to buy might might have already passed, but for the most part, there's still so little data with a lot of these cases that I feel like if you like what you're seeing so far, or you think there's really room for growth, I think it's a good opportunity still to jump in there and buy while you can. Yeah, absolutely. I know some people are playing in dynasty leagues and keeper leagues and they don't have like a trade deadline. So you can make some moves all the way up until your season is over. And yeah, you know, if you're if you're not in it and you got a couple big name players and an opportunity maybe to sell one or two of those guys and, you know, kind of load up on some draft picks or some younger players that I'm sure we'll address throughout the show. So, yeah, I mean, looking forward to getting after it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we say time and time again, like opportunity is one of the biggest drivers of success, right? Especially for those that are compiling various categories. And so this is a great time of year for uh, for identifying those guys. So let's let's get into it. I'll give you the floor here first. Um, what's uh, either a team or a specific player that you want to talk about as like someone whose circumstances really changed? Yeah, I'm going to start with not a, a big name player here, but Nito Niederreiter uh, for the Winnipeg Jets. I thought it was a really good get for the Jets. You know, before the deadline, they were kind of messing around with their top six. You know, Mason Appleton's a fine player, but, you know, he was playing on the top line for a game or two next to Kyle Connor, and it just didn't seem like a, a really good fit. So, Bernino Niederreiter, you know, you mentioned shot props and point props. I mean, he's been plus money here over the past couple of days. He's got goals and back-to-back games for the Jets, points in four straight, three-plus shots in each of those four games in 19 minutes, at least 19 minutes in three straight games. is 18.46 over his last four. So, a really big role here for the Jets, not only you know, on the top line, top power play. Uh, this is a guy who averaged just under 16 minutes per game in his first 48 games with the Nashville Predators. A 20-goal campaign already, right? You know, with the goal the other night, he's got six 20-goal seasons on his NHL resume. And looking at all the players that moved, you know, Timo Meyer, of course, is a big-name player. Uh, but out of all the players that, that changed jerseys here, he's second in expected goals at the 5-5 per 60 playing with the Nashville Predators squad. So definitely a big boost, whether it's, Kyle Connor on his line, Nikolai Ehlers. I know the Jets have been messing around with their top six, but he should have a spot either on that first line or on that second line. And, you know, he parks himself right in front of the net. He's not afraid to throw his body around if you're playing a league with hits as well. So I think this is a guy that has certainly benefited and he's definitely been on my radar in terms of props. Yeah, he's such an, uh, he's always been such an efficient player, right? He does a lot of his damage at 5-1-5. He doesn't, you know, historically like chew up huge amounts of minutes. So the fact that you mentioned that his usage is actually up is, is is great for his future outlook um skill set just like you're right just a beast around the net um a, a player the coaches love right like it, it, he's bounced around now he's been on a few different teams but everyone that has him always speaks very highly of him and you know analytically always a driver of a player 515 but also the eye tests are maybe like an old 
kind of like an old school mentality also checks those boxes see with a big body and kind of always around it so really like him as a player i hearing you talk about his usage though just aggravated me so much because it gives the jets one other another reason to wildly underuse nikolai ehlers and right it just drives me absolutely crazy we're on seemingly like year 20 of this now even though he's only 27 years old and has been in the league for a handful of years but i i think it's time for it's time for change like i looking ahead to this offseason i think one kind of move that i'm just going to be beating the drum for is a smart team going out there and even if it's 110 cents on the dollar just going and paying a premium getting Nick Eilers out of Winnipeg, getting him a fresh start, getting him to a team that's actually going to use him properly because his usage right now is comical. Like he is ninth among the Jets forwards in 515 ice time, eighth overall. Uh, he's playing less than, you know, Nita Ryder who came a couple games ago and Vlad Nemesnikov since he came on the Jets. And I just, I, I don't get it. Like I, I know, I know that he, he missed a bunch of time earlier this season, right? He's kind of ramping himself back up uh, from that injury and all that, but we're on a new coach here and it's the same old, same old. He's playing way too little. Every time he's out there, he's creating something. He's one of the most efficient point getters in the league. He's one of the best transition players in the game. The Jets are significantly better with him on the ice. And I just do not understand why the the usage never matches up with all those other points. I couldn't agree more. There were times this season where he was on the third line. And I think there was a game where he played on the fourth line. Now, he may not have had fourth line minutes. I don't know if that was trying to create a spark or whatnot, but... Uh, he's a terrific hockey player, and there were rumors a couple years ago and some teams in on him if the Jets would, you know, if he would be a big part of the, the Jets' future, and I thought to myself, man, that would be a, a big mistake if Winnipeg moved off from him. Uh, I, view, I viewed him as a bi-level candidate all year. You know, I know some people drafted him, and, and to your point, you said he missed some time with, you know, injuries, and maybe that is, is something to do with the production this season, but to hear you say that there are like eight or nine guys that have more ice time at five and five is absolutely bonkers. There's, there's no reason that that should be the case. Uh, he's a terrific goal scorer. He, he loves to shoot the puck. And as I said earlier, I mean, the Jets really just messing around with a lot of their lines. There hasn't really been a lot of stability. Kyle Connor started the season off pretty slow. And last year, he was so good with Pierre-Luc Dubois. It took them a little bit of time to put them back together. And I thought that's when really Kyle Connor took off. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Nikolai Ehlers if there's a move in the offseason. If it does have something to do with the new coach in town, it seemed like Paul Maurice really liked him. You know, last year at times, it's given him a little bit more ice time. Really, Yeah, but still not enough. On that power play. It's not yeah. enough. You're right, it's no. not enough. And he doesn't even get time on the first power play. My goodness, right? Like, yeah. He's the guy that should be on that power play. Yeah, his. He, I mean, he has a type of skill set that should really be, like, featured on a team. He's playing under 16 minutes all situations per game this season, which is just comical. And and you look, like, he is 2.7515 points per 60 this season, which is 20th best in the league. Sandwich right between Rupe Hintz and Mitch Marner, two guys who get a lot of love and attention and and significantly better usage from their teams and deservedly so and Nikolai Ehlers is in that category right like when he's healthy they're awesome with him on the ice and he's got two years left on his deal at six million uh 27 years old and so yeah I don't want I don't want this to be a type of situation where at the end of his career we're like ah always one of those players that was just underutilized I think the window is still there for him to get there and hopefully some other team if, if it's not going to be the Jets they've had enough opportunities at this point and for whatever reason uh, they seem reluctant to do so. Okay, here's my first one. Rasmus Sandin. Um, you know, after the two types of two games that he had out of the game with the Capitals, I'm not sure how available still he, he is or, you know, uh, what the situation in your league is, but the usage here speaks for itself where in his 52 games with the Leafs, he topped 20 minutes just 12 times this season. In the first two games that he played with the Capitals, he played... 
21-40 in his debut against the Sharks, and then 25-06 against the Kings. First time in his career in 140-plus games that he got over 23 minutes in a game. In those two games, he has a goal. He has four assists. Um, he has he leads the team, actually, in 5-on-5 ice time in those two games, and he's played six out of the nine possible power play minutes that they've had in those two games. So they're pretty much, you know, with Orlov out the door, with Gustafson being traded for Sandine, and with Carlson still out, they're basically just handing over the keys to the operation and treating him as the number one defenseman. And the sky's the limit because I think talent was never a question for him. It was always a matter of kind of a logjam on the defensive depth chart for the Leafs and just their unwillingness or inability to to get more minutes for him just because of all those players ahead of him. And now there's none of those barriers in the way and he's in a great situation. And at least so far, he's taking full advantage of it. Yeah, he was second on my list, Dimitri. I love this call here by you. It's amazing. The Leafs fan base is so strong that I noticed immediately when that trade happened, his ownership dropped. People were actually willing <laughs> to drop Rasmus Sandin because he was no longer a member of the Toronto Maple Leafs. But now with these past couple of games, which you alluded to in the production, and just really the ice time, the six minutes of power play in the two games is a guy that averaged under two minutes of power play time per game with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And, and even overall, you mentioned the five and five numbers. Now we're seeing his ownership jump up a little bit, but it's still not high enough. It's sub 40% in Yahoo leagues. It's sub 30% in the ESPN formats. Uh, 21 minutes, 25 minutes, as you mentioned, the one shot, six hits. I don't know if that's really part of his game. Like, I don't know if you're picking, you're not picking him up, like, just to get, you know, three or four hits here and there. He does have some offensive firepower to him. Uh, and we're going to see that here over the next little bit. I mean, Eric Gustafson is an immediate drop with the move to Toronto. He's not going to get the same sort of ice time, just under 10 minutes in his first game. I mean, you can just swap the players out. If you had Gustafson, you cut him and you move over to Rasmus Sandin. So, yeah, I like it. I mean, the opportunities are there. Ovechkin plays on the power play, the full power play. You know, he's not going to leave the ice. And as you mentioned, I don't know if John Carlson's going to come back. I mean, it's a significant injury. I'm unsure if he's going to come back. The Capitals are still hanging on. Like, it's going to be tough for them to get into the playoffs. And I think they did a good thing realizing that they are sellers to to move some of the pieces that they did move and Dimitri Orloff and, and Hathaway and some players like that. But but Sandin is a really, really nice get. And, you know, I think he's a good, if you have him in a keeper league in a dynasty league, and, you know, I, he was going pretty early in those formats, you just hold on to him. I think it's a pretty good spot for him for a yeah, he clearly a highly skilled player, and I think they're certainly put him in a position to succeed. I guess, like the thing that was interesting was you never know with some of these young defensemen who are you know playing on teams where they're playing sort of sheltered third minute third pairing roles, and um, you're the the minutes are being very carefully curated, and you're not sure whether you can project it. You can expand it out all of a sudden to a significantly larger workload against better players if that production is going to carry over and actually expand, or whether they're just going to completely drown in it. And you don't want to make any sort of you know declarations based on two games but clearly a highly skilled player and he's in a good spot to at least produce offensively and you mentioned the hits I also don't think you're getting him for shots right because he comes from uh, an organization the Leafs that like prides itself on not allowing their defenseman to shoot right they're they're trying to get the puck to their forwards in shooting positions and so he comes from that he was developed in that system he played his entirety of his career so far there and so maybe at this point he can still sort of add that to his game or adapt but i wouldn't expect high shot totals from him which is fine because he's more of a distributor and there's a lot of good forwards on that team to get the puck to and i'm sure they're gonna love him and keep giving him those minutes if he's teeing up ovechkin time and time again yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, it, it's not really all about the shots and the goal. I mean, he's 100% shooting, right? That's 
clearly not sustainable, but <laughs> me being on that power play and picking up some apples here and there. And, you know, TJ Oshie's playing pretty good. Kuznetsov is, is back in the lineup. Ovechkin is back now. So they still, as you mentioned, have some skilled forwards on that first uh, on that first power play. Yeah, I think he's a really good get. And if I was a ranked defenseman the rest of the way, he would be a top 20 defenseman for me. There's really no question about it just because of the, the ice time that he is going to get and the production that he could provide for you on the power play. And that could be the difference, especially in a head-to-head format. You're in a rotisserie league. You need some power play points, things like that. This is a guy that can really help you out. It's really tough to find defensemen and players who can produce on the power play. Like, those guys don't really hang around on the waiver wire. So to get a guy that's going to probably average just over 21 minutes per game the rest of the way and maybe three, close to three, on the power play per game, that's pretty significant. Yeah, and also a player that they're incentivized or motivated to keep feeding those minutes, right? Especially for the rest of the season. It would be strange for them to kind of force Carlson back into the lineup based on the injury he had, I think. I think it'll be more of an next year thing. So yeah, the rest of the season, um, all systems go. Okay, who's uh, who's next on your list? I got a deep, another deep guy here, Ivan Barbashev, uh, mm-hmm. the Vegas Golden Knights here. Uh, 12 goals and just 34 points on the season, but five points here, five games with the Golden Knights. Uh, two goals the other night against the Canadians. Uh, he just goes hard to the net, and I think that's a really good player to have on your line with Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marsh. So, you know, Mark Stone's probably not going to come back here and, until the playoffs if he's, you know, on long-term IR until that moment. And, you know, they've tried to balance out some of their lineups, you know, well, their lineup in particular. I mean, they've had Chandler Stevenson on that third line with Phil Kessel, and they've had uh, William Carlson with Riley Smith. But, you know, giving them an opportunity right off the hop is another guy, just like Nito Niederreiter, right? Just under 17 minutes per game with his former team in the Blues in 1857 over his last four games. On that second power play unit, I can't imagine him getting on that first power play unit. You know, like you're not really going to get a lot of power play production, uh, but he's a guy that is a banger, right? You hear the term sandpaper, get in the corner, get those loose blocks, all those uh, cliches that uh, you know hockey analysts kind of toss out here and there. But 11 hits in his last three games. I think this is a perfect get for the Golden Knights. It's a sneaky little ad. He has experience. He's won a Stanley Cup a couple years ago. I think he can provide a lot of firepower to Vegas and, and Jack Eichel's playing really good. There was a moment where he came back from the injury and he, I think he went like two or three weeks really without a goal and he wasn't really productive, but we're starting to see him now shoot the puck a bit more. Maybe he's more healthy. Jonathan Marsh or so is starting to hit the score sheet a little bit more as well. So just a guy who's, who's going to be surrounded around better players here in Vegas. Yeah, it's a good spot for him. I believe that only Jack Eichel amongst Vegas forwards is playing more than him so far as well since he got entered that lineup. And, um, you know, at the time of the trade, I... I was very skeptical on the player because I feel like, like with most Blues players last year, the sort of inflated career year shooting percentage uh, distorted the perception of like what type of player he is. And uh, I don't know, it seemed like an aberration or an outlier uh, in the grand scheme of his career. But I also said I could really see this, especially for the rest of the season, kind of working out in Vegas, mining every single bit of value out of him because... We just went through this a couple of years ago. Remember they like acquired Matias Yamark at the deadline and I was like, oh, I don't know about this player. And then all of a sudden it's kind of that 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 system where you just plug and plug and play him and all of a sudden get more out of him. And so, yeah, as long as he's playing this role and it seems like there's no reason to believe that's going to change anytime soon. Although Bruce Cassidy self-admittedly like loves to put the lines in a blender and mix up everyone. And so, you know, there's certainly a scenario where if a couple of games go by and, and they're struggling to score again, all of a sudden he's playing with much lesser players. And I would, you know, I wouldn't recommend him at that point, but as long as he's playing with Eichel and Marshall, so it's a, it's kind of a no-brainer to sort of plug him in and, and get some of those uh, peripheral stats as well. Yeah, um, it's a little bit really living in the moment, I think, Dimitri. Yeah, like if, another guy from a point prop standpoint, like plus money, like plus 120, you know, playing with those guys. If he's going to play with Eichel, he's going to play with Marshall, and you're going to get some soft matchups, plus 220 for an assist, things like that. 
know, a little sprinkle on, on it. So live in the moment, maybe a short term ad and just kind of see what uh, Cassidy does with those lines, as you mentioned. Yeah. Okay. I, m- my list is really interesting because you mentioned how it was kind of like a depth ad. For me, my list is pretty much entirely either young guys who I think could really benefit from openings, kind of like I had with Sandine, or sort of like players who I'm not necessarily very enthused about, but are all of a sudden getting a lot of opportunity in their new roles. And so um, I'll give you I'll give you a young guy that I'm really intrigued by. So William Eklund has played a couple games now with the Sharks after being called up. He had 41 points in 52 AHL games this year. Um, you know, they've pretty much plugged him right there in that Timo Meyer role. He's playing the top line left wing. He's on the top unit power play. He has played 70% of his minutes so far with Eric Carlson on the ice, 90% of his minutes with Tomas Hurdle on the ice. And that's a great position for him. Like it's, it's going to, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some growing pains. I'm sure there's going to be nights where he doesn't produce anything for you, but give him that type of usage with those players. Eventually good things will happen. And we've seen that even when the Sharks struggle as a team and they lose, their top players still find a way to produce offensively and they're featuring William Eklund in that role now. And certainly based on everything we know about him from his prospect profile to the draft hype is he's a very intriguing talent. And so I'm very curious to see what he does in that role. And, and I think you could do a lot worse than sort of speculating on on him at this point, because he hasn't really, I think he only has like the one assist in those three games so far. Um, But if he keeps getting those minutes, he will eventually even stumble his way into more points and more shots and all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. This is another guy that's on my list as well. Somebody that uh, Eric and I talked about last week on on Dangleblatt's Sally is, you know, he's a big Barabana fan, uh, EY, and it's and we we joke all the time about just really opportunity, and 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 it isn't a joke. But this is a player that's got a lot of skill, and you know, when a big name player like Timo Meyer gets shipped out of town, it's an opportunity, right? The Sharks are rebuilding. Uh, this is a team that's going to be in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, no question about it. But they still have two really good centermen in Thomas Hurdle and Logan Couture. So if they decide to move, you know, Eklund up and down the lineup, he is going to play with a really good centerman. And and Hurdle is somebody originally that I thought, man, you know what? It's, it kind of stinks losing losing uh, Timo Meyer. Am I going to want to hold this guy? Like, who is he going to play with? Because the first couple games with Timo Meyer, he didn't really have great line mates. And then they call up Eklund, you mentioned the three games, averaging 19 minutes per game, has the assist, has five shots, had some shot attempts. We're going to play on the power play is a guy that's going to probably live in that 18, 19 minute range, whether it's with Hurdle or whether it's with Couture. So I, I love the call. I think he's another really great get in keeper leagues and dynasty leagues. This is what I mentioned off the top. Like if you're not going to make the playoffs, unfortunately, you can maybe get a guy like this. If you weren't quick to the waiver wire to grab him, you know, maybe somebody up at the top of the standings has a loaded roster and, and they, they need help elsewhere. Maybe you can get a young player like this who is definitely going to have a significant role uh, moving forward with this San Jose Sharks team. So absolutely love the call. Yeah, I know earlier this year I had uh, I had Jack Hahn on the podcast and he was talking about how something the Sharks were were doing was, um, you know, because of Eric Carlson's playing style and how aggressive it is, they were trying to match up his minutes with Tomas Hurdles a lot because Hurdles is just like so reliable defensively and was sort of, you know, stepping back and basically being the last man back sometimes when Carlson would dash up the ice and, and trying to sort of um, have their cake and eat it that too in that regard. And so if Eklund is going to play with Hurdle, that also means he's going to be on the ice with Carlson a lot. And and we don't typically think about like shared forward defenseman minutes. But in this case, with Carlson basically being a fourth forward to you and an elite one at that, I love the idea of him sharing the ice with him because we know that Carlson is is going to get him the puck in great areas to convert from. And so 
it's like it's kind of a, a dream landing spot for him. So even if like the five on five numbers or or um, you know the goal share or anything doesn't look ideal, I think the scoring opportunities are going to be there. So uh, I like him quite a bit. Okay, we have time for uh, for one more pick here before we go to break. So I think it, I think it is your turn. I'll give you another just low key name and kind of the same sort of uh, thing as you know opportunity on a team that's you know still they're fighting for a playoff spot and not as not like the Sharks, but the Nashville Predators and, and Tommy Novak. And Tommy Novak has just kind of been on my radar a little bit from, you know, a prop standpoint in a deep league, a 14-team league. And and just looking at the remaining games left, Nashville has the most games left. They have the second most games uh, from a three-week span, depending on your format in a Yahoo League or ESPN setting, um, which is key. I mean, for those playoffs, just to have the most games is very beneficial, uh, you know, just try to get the edge uh, from your opponent. Tommy Novak, 12 points over his last nine games. Then on the second line, first line, kind of moved around a little bit, but Philip Forsberg is sidelined. Maybe when Forsberg gets back, that will give him a little bit of boost because we've seen Forsberg, Novak, and Duchesne at times on a line on the first power play. And again, maybe he wise rubbing off on me a little bit, but he's been talking about this guy really all year long. He thought that he should have made the squad up at the start of the season. Uh, he can help you out in face-offs opportunities, right? 12 points in his last nine games, points in six of those nine games. Not a big volume shooter, but again, with opportunity, maybe that will change uh, as a guy who's like all of a sudden going to get the first line minutes. Ryan Johansson sideline right now. Uh, they traded Mikhail Granlin. They've moved on a lot of the different pieces. And and this is a player that is mostly owned in Tyson Berry, but it's another guy, right? Yet I think most people dropped him immediately. Oh, you know, he's leaving Conor McDavid in the Edmonton power play. Why do I want a piece of him? But 10 shots on goal in this three games, uh, two points. And then again, I, I do think it's beneficial to have um, arguably the most game, like inside the top two in that playoff format, in a head-to-head format, you're going to get the most out of your move. So those are two, mostly Novak. I think Barry's mostly owned everywhere, but Novak's a guy that I think he can, I think he can help you out in a 14 Okay, so I was looking at this. This is a great time to bring this up. And you might be the wrong person to ask this because of how much time you spend with our with our mutual pal, uh, Eric Young. In March, so they played like whatever, three, three or four games. Can you name the top nine forwards for the National Predators? Oh my goodness, no way. I can't even do it. Okay, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you the list. Matt Duchesne. No bear can do it. Matt Duchesne, number one. Yakov Trenin, number two. Cody Glass, number three. Colton Sissons, number four. Cole Smith, number five. Tommy Novak, six. Luke Evangelista, seven. John Leonard, eight. Kiefer Sherwood, nine. Certainly a who's who of who. Um, now, Forsberg, Forsberg's return is imminent. Um, and so, and, and, you know, he's going to be back up atop that list. But, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. Whoever does get to play with Forsberg and Duchesne, potentially, that's going to be a, a great spot, right? So, uh, certainly something to monitor. You know, you mentioned Barry there. Let's include Evan Bouchard, who's probably owned a lot of leagues, right? Because even, even before he was still playing. But... I did want to note that in the four games since the Barry trade, he's got three assists, 21 shot attempts, which are behind just Connor McDavid and Zach Hyman on the team. And he's playing 21 minutes per game in that time. But here's the stat for you. Um, in On their power play opportunities, he has been on the ice with Connor McDavid for all but 11 seconds of Connor McDavid's power play usage. So he has stepped fully into that role. They are just leaning on that top power play unit as heavily as possible. And it's a great spot to be. I know. I think he had all three of those assists in one, uh, one of those four games, and he hasn't had anything in the rest of them. But you're telling me you're going to be out for like a hundred percent of the time on a historically great top power play unit. You are going to sleepwalk your way to significant point totals. And so, and and that's not to diminish Bouchard himself because I think he's a fantastic player and he's a great fit for that. 
and he'll be able to optimize that as well and maximize his opportunity. But yeah, it just in terms of usage, if anyone's like, oh, I'm kind of a bit underwhelmed so far because three out of those four games, he didn't give me anything. Um, I'm all about it because he's clearly going to just load up on points the rest of the way. Man, such a good call. I mean, it kind of slipped my radar. I'm glad that you brought him up because this is a player that actually took a lot of flack from, you know, in my in my rankings at the start of the season. I, you know, Darnell Nurse is going ahead of him, and I thought, no, this is Bouchard. Like, Bouchard's the guy that you want. Save and, you know, save that pick, grab somebody else, and get Bouchard a little bit later on. But unfortunately, you know, he just hasn't really had a good season. But last year, I thought he was terrific, especially in the playoffs. I thought he was a real driver offensively, and I thought he was really good on the power play. But, of course, Tyson Beery getting that power play time and Darnell Nurse from here and there. So, yeah, three, three assists the other night, two of them were on the power play. Got at least three shots in three straight games, and and the ice time should be there as well. I mean, the Oilers are just so electric on the power play; it's it's really unbelievable. They seem to be automatic, and and what a great stat there! Eleven seconds. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know, McDavid. Yeah, sign me up. Yeah, and the thing the thing for me is, um, I was making this point when they made the Ekholm trade as well. It's a kind of a tougher thing to quantify, but Ekholm is just such a perfect fit for him as a partner that at five on five, I think the it's going to be a much easier ride for him. And considering he's also playing on this top unit power play now, which is um, one of the best spots he can be in in the league, like his confidence is going to be at an all-time high, right? Like he's going to get the points, he's going to get the usage, he's going to get easier puck touches and high leverage moments. And so it can be a tricky spot when like you're relied upon as a young defender, especially in a tough market. And if you make a few mistakes here or there, people are down down your throat or right, immediately. Um but in this case, I, I really think kind of the, the sky's the limit for him and he's going to make the most of it. So um, I'm all about Bouchard the rest of the way there. All right, uh, Chris, let's take a let's take a quick break here um, while we still can. And then when we come back, we'll wrap up with some other names on our list. You are listening to the Hockey PDOcast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Your number one spot for Flames coverage can be found on Flames Talk with me, Pat Steinberg. Exclusive interviews, trusted insiders, and the latest news. Listen live weekday afternoons at 4 or stream the Flames Talk podcast on demand. All right, we're back here on the Hockey PDO cast with my pal Chris Meany. We're talking about uh, players who's roles and situations have changed since the uh since the trade deadline and who stands to benefit i'll give you uh i'll give you the next name on my list here evgeny dodonov who you got to watch closely with the montreal canadians uh he is playing now in a line with jamie ben and with wyatt johnston and you know with the Habs, he shot 5.6 percent after having been basically like a, a consistent 14 or so percent above average shooter in the five years since he came back to the NHL uh, on various teams. And he, in his first 50 games of the Habs, he was on the ice for only 29 goals. He's already been on the ice for six goals in his first five games. And so I think he's getting some power play uses there on the second unit. Uh, he's getting a play on what is, you know, essentially their second line in terms of usage up front. And I really like the fit for him there. So, um, you know, he's a player who I'm sure was pretty much available everywhere based on how we started the season. And I like him quite a bit in that spot on this Stars team. Yeah, I do as well. Um, you know, when he started to pick up his game towards, um, you know, the, the I guess the last few games, maybe he was thinking, you know, if I if I bring it here, maybe I can get out of town and I can, you know, be on a, a Stanley Cup contender. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, he's a proven goal scorer in the league. I know it hasn't been the same for him, you know, really since he, he really left Florida. Yep. You know, a couple of really strong seasons there with the Panthers. And, 
maybe a little bit underwhelming with the Ottawa Senators, but he does have a lot of scoring touch. And, and you mentioned that the line mates that he's playing with, he is a guy that's not afraid to put the puck on that. It's three straight games, at least two shots. And, you know, he had three points in his first couple uh, games as well, getting an opportunity on the power play. And I just want to give a little bit of love to Max Domi as well. Uh, I thought those were two kind of underrated moves. You know, Dallas is very top heavy, of course. So, you know, with that top line and, and hints and Jason Robertson and Joe Pavelski, but I've noticed, you know, watching the last two games with Dallas, Max Domi's had a really nice season. Maybe his outlier, of course, will be that that year that he had with the Habs, 73 points, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's having a really nice season with Chicago. Is somebody we were talking about from a shot prop standpoint. The minutes are going to come down just a little bit. Uh, but, you know, playing with Tyler Sagan, playing with Mason Marchman, maybe they can kind of get him going a little bit. He's been a little underwhelming. But Sagan's looked good alongside Max Domi playing on that second line. Uh, a goal and six shots over his first couple games, second power play unit. Sagan's got seven points over his last seven games. So all of a sudden, this isn't just a one-line team. And, and really, it's probably unfair for me to say that because Jimmy Benz had a really nice season. Uh, and adding Dadnoff on that line, I think it gives them three lines that can score and they don't have to rely so much on that top line. So uh, I do like that. I call Dadnoff's ownership is 2%. So he's definitely yeah. available. And that may just be me because I have well, I think they certainly as a team just needed more, you know, creativity and playmaking. And those guys certainly give them that. And the reason why I brought this up, you mentioned Ben. I got to give Wyatt Johnson some love here because that guy is a baller. And and I think it's flying a bit under the radar right now because, you know, his his overall counting stats aren't necessarily the most impressive. But when you adjust it for age, he's still a teenager for the role in terms of the minutes he plays and sort of some of the underlying indicators of how much he's creating he is having an unbelievable season. You look at it since 2007, which I kind of classify as the uh, quote-unquote analytics era because that's what the database goes back to on, on sites like Natural Statric and Evolving Hockey. He's in the top 30 amongst teenagers in expected goals generated per 60 minutes. And right there, some of the names are the ones you'd expect. And then also some interesting ones in terms of like Timmy Stutzla and Seth Jarvis last year, uh, Alex DeBrincat a few years ago when he burst onto the scene. Uh, his teammate Tyler Sagan all the way back in 2011-2012. Uh, like pretty much every player on that list for the most part wound up, you know, as they got older and as they matured and got into their physical prime, got significantly more minutes, became a featured part of their offense and completely took off and the counting stats went along with it. And so I want to get in early on the Wyatt Johnson experience here. It might not be a play for the rest of the season, but, you know, talking to some of the people who are playing in more big picture, deeper roster dynasty leagues, he might already be owned in those, but if the owner is kind of like, you know, if they're a contender right now and they're like looking to beef up their roster for the rest of this year, I would be buying on Wyatt Johnson because I think the sky's the limit for him the rest of the way. Yeah, no question. And, you know, something we do over at FTA and you know, for those that like DAFS, you know, playing some DraftKings and Vandal, you know, in larger tournaments, just try to be different with your lineups. You, you got to assume when Dallas is a, you know, a really nice matchup, like playing, you know, the Buffalo Sabres who have allowed the the second most goals against at five and five for 60 over the last month, you, you know, a lot of the people will gravitate to that top line. Uh, and, you know, everyone will. The ownership will be higher in those players. But with some of that line, that second line, mostly Johnson and Jamie Ben, we've been writing those guys up as like sneaky little plays, driving offense. And Ben has been very productive. And you mentioned why. I mean, he's got points in five of his last six games. Uh, shooting the puck can provide some faceoff wins as well. And, you know, sticking with Dallas and and maybe just transitioning over Montreal, that trade, you know, Dennis Garyanov has been on my radar as well. Uh, you know, he has recently been moved to the third line, but I thought the first two games with the Habs, I thought they were fantastic from him. I mean, he showed a lot of speed. He's been very inconsistent in Dallas. So what a cup run he had when when the Stars went to the Stanley Cup Finals against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I thought, oh, wow, this is a really good player. He's big. He loves to shoot the puck. He's fast. 
Uh, but, you know, he just really wasn't getting the ice time, fell down the lineup in Dallas. I mean, his first game with the Canadians, he played a season-high 17 minutes. He had six shots, eight attempts. Those were season highs as well. The second game against the Kings, he played 18-52, and he scored a goal in that game. And just recently, St. Louis put him on that third line. I don't know if he's going to get back up on that top line with Nick Suzuki. I think it's possible. Uh, I think they're just trying to figure out maybe if he could play with somebody else, uh, if he can create some chemistry with maybe some other younger players on the squad, because anybody can really play with Nick Suzuki. But he is getting a time on that second power play unit um, as the trigger man. He's playing the point, and they kind of got him like at the top of the circle there, and they've been looking his way for some shots. So maybe just somebody to keep an eye on. Um, definitely going to get a significant boost in ice time and usage, and he does have a ton of speed, and he's been shooting the puck quite a bit. Yeah. Well, you don't need to sell me on Dennis Garyanov. I've been the conductor of the Dennis Garyanov train yeah. for years, and he just needs he just needs a place that loves him, you know, that, that'll embrace him for who he is, that'll overlook some of the flaws in his game and just try to focus on the good stuff. And there's certainly a lot of good stuff, especially from a talent perspective. So... Yeah, I'm very curious to see, um, you know, what the what the future holds for him in, the, in that regard. Um, okay, well, speaking of a guy with a great shot, a ton of speed to burn, and a new opportunity here, may I interest you in some Jakob Branham? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so he gets the fresh start in St. Louis. Um, he plays, he's only played one game so far. He made his debut against the Coyotes the other night. He played 16-31. He had eight shot attempts and six shots on goal in that game. He flashed sort of that trademark of his where in the defensive zone, he kind of pokes away a puck. It becomes a loose puck. He tracks it down and instantly just takes off and goes in for a breakaway. He didn't score on it, but it was like, that's what I want to see from Jakob Brenna. That's the player we fell in love with. That's one of his sort of defining uh, defining plays or defining skills that he, he uses when he's right. And so we'll see on his uh, line mates right now. I believe he played with like Braden Shen and Kasperi Kapanen in that debut um, there's certainly a lot of opportunity in that top six based on all the trades that they made at the deadline. And I think, you know, they have him next year at a reduced price because the Detroit um, retained on it, I believe, half of half of his contract. And so it's a situation where it makes sense for them to give him a shot to see what they have in him, if he can kind of rejuvenate his career. And he's certainly got the skill set and he's young enough that I believe he can. And so that's a player that I'd be interested in, in speculating on now because, I mean, getting six shots on goal and eight attempts in 16 minutes for a player with his finishing ability. If he's going to be doing that, a lot of goals are going to be coming his way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with this call as well. Somebody that we talked about just the other day, his shot prop was plus 145, which is something you normally don't see. It was one and a half. And as you mentioned, he had six. So he cruised to the over pretty early. He's getting an opportunity in the top six. And there are some really good players in St. Louis still. Pavel Buchnevich is playing really good there. Robert Thomas, they seem to have a little bit of a connection with Jordan Kyra. So whether he is on that second line or he bumps up on that top line or first power play, they're going to give him a really good look here down the stretch and see what they have in him. And and very impressive player. You know, I, I at the time of the trade with, um, you know, Anthony Mantha, I really liked that side of it for the Detroit Red Wings. Unfortunately, just didn't seem to work out from off, off the ice issues. But he's a, a heck of a player with a ton of speed. And as you mentioned, you know, he's he's got a nose for the net. And, you know, not only can put the puck in the net, you know, he's not afraid to shoot the puck. So I think that's really significant. These guys that, are going like 16 32 is pretty big for your first game and to have those eight shot attempts in your first game with the team uh, unfamiliar with certain players you know style of play coaching system all that stuff is is you know checks a lot of boxes and he did certainly for me in that game i really like that call yeah um do you have the numbers in front of you on anthony Bobillier's ownership is it too late to cash in on it because it's not He's been he's been with the Canucks for 15 games, right? So it's a, he's a bit different because that trade happened so early on January 30th, I believe, that 
it's not like a fresh deadline one, but he's also a player that I want to talk about because his circumstances have changed about as dramatically as anyone's um, with kind oh, of yeah. like a, a trade in season. Yeah. Oh, wow. Really that low? Yeah. Yeah. Even Kuzmeko. Like, I don't understand Kuzmeko. Yeah, people are sleeping. Hanging around 50%. Have absolutely sleeping. Uh, he's, he's a guy that we've been talking about quite a bit. Plus money every single night for a point. Plus 250 for an assist. He's got an assist in back-to-back games. Man, just looking quickly here. I think he's hit the score sheet in four, five, six, seven of his last 10 games, right? Elias Patterson's been one of the best players uh, in the NHL over the last year and a half. Like nobody really even talks about this guy uh, from a prop point standpoint. He's always at one and a half. There's only a handful of players that come with a one and a half point prop for, you know, that team's games or for that player's game. And he's a guy that's been hitting the score sheet. Yeah, he's looked really good. And I know you've you've had your eye on him, um, of course, you know, following the clock and that's pretty closely. Yeah, yeah. Um... So, Bavillier's played 15 games with the team. He has six goals and seven assists in that time. He's played 240 out of his 280 minutes with Pedersen. I think that's the important differentiator here because you met you you hit the nail on the head there. Like, Elias Pedersen is one of the rare talent elevators we have in the league. Like, I feel pretty good anyone that plays with him that has any semblance of skill, he's going to get the absolute most out of them, both on the defensive and offensive side of things as a distributor with his play just basically all over the ice. And so... Bovillier is in a perfect spot there. I believe he's like playing kind of some bumper minutes on the power play as well. They're getting him the puck there to shoot. Um, so I know his shot rate is a bit down from where it was with the Islanders, but the positions he's getting it from and sort of the quality of those looks is so significantly higher. And he's a player who has had success in the NHL in the past, and he's, what, he turns 26 this summer. So there's a lot of value left there to kind of like rehabilitate and uh, and rejuvenate. And good on the Canucks for sort of, you know, taking him on as money to make that contract work, to make the deal work in the Horvat trade. He makes $4.15 million, I believe, next year. And so they're getting a lot out of him, and it's a great spot for him playing with Pedersen there, and, and I expect that to continue. I mean, the dynamic between those guys and then and then throw Kuzmenko in there as well is is incredibly fun to watch. So um, And it's a Canucks team that clearly, uh, you know, for better or for worse, and, and for worse in my opinion because I think they should be trying to get as good draft lottery odds as they can, they're using their top players a lot, and those top players are producing quite well right now and winning them some games here under Rick Tockett. So um, I think I'm shocked to hear that Beauvillier's um, roster shift percentage is, is as low as it is. Yeah, it's too low. I think people are sleeping, right? I mean, they look at the Islanders number and they think the Islanders don't score a lot of goals. I mean, the Canucks played a lot of overs. Uh, of course, they haven't been really getting the goaltending. You know, Thatcher Demko back is going to stabilize them a little bit in net but you know a great february for him 11 games six goals 11 points i mean he had a, a little bit of an unsustainable shooting percentage at 21.4 but the ice time 1906 is what he averaged he didn't have over 16 minutes just once in january you know 15 1505 1540 1539 from october november and into december so top line minutes uh, around a player like patterson i love kuzmeko's game i mean this is a guy that just um you know seems to hit the score sheet every single night with patterson so like that call a lot and um, yeah, I'm surprised with the ownership. And again, not comparing the two players, of course, but you got a Canucks team, a lot of, you know, they got some games left. I'll reference again, you know, the, the head-to-head formats in the three weeks, you know, um, towards the end of March and, and early April where the Islanders have the fewest games to remain. Yeah. Uh, and so like, you, you kind of have to cut your ties with maybe like, a, a you know, Bo Horvat or Honors Lee once you get past uh, these next couple weeks so there won't be a lot of games there. And that's a, a player would swap over one of those two guys. What do you think about Thomas Tatar? Like, what do you think about his role with the Devils and bringing in Timo Meyer? Timo Meyer is own. Dawson Mercer finally his ownership is above sixty percent. Ten game point streak. You know, he's kind of solidified himself on the wing next to Nico Heischer. 
I don't know if they're going to continue with Brad and Hughes and Timo Meyer. I, I just, I feel like, you know, you, you get the Hatcher man there, the, the Swiss guy potentially, and Timo Meyer playing with Nico Heischer, but I think he's just a perfect fit next to Jack Hughes, and it's really created more balance up third lineup. You know, people are asking me about Andre Palat. Like, Palat now to the third line, he's fit the score sheet lately. I think he's more suited for that third line role. And and Thomas Tatar, a couple of years ago, was one of the better 5 from 5 players in the NHL. You know, he was playing with Philip Deneau and he was playing with Brendan Gallagher, so he was responsible on both ends. He hasn't done a whole lot on the season. I mean, just 14 goals, scoreless in his last three games. But the upside that he can bring playing with the skilled players that he's surrounded around, there was a three-game point streak where he racked up six points. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, he does have that potential to maybe contribute, kind of piggyback off of what is a really loaded top six now all of a sudden in New Jersey. It is, yeah. I think they're going to use these final couple of weeks of the season to probably experiment and integrate uh, Timo Meyer into different combinations. So I'm sure at some point we're going to see him play with Hishier and, and Dawson Mercer on that top line. And if that bumps down to Tart to playing with, uh, you know, with Brad and Hughes, that's totally fine as well. If it bumps him down to the third line, then I'll obviously like him a bit less from an offensive perspective. But yeah, I mean, that that trio with Hishier, um, Mercer, and Tatar has had so much success recently that I feel like Lindy Ruff is going to ride that for as long as he can, and it's not necessarily going to change. And so while he's in that role, I love it because, you know, I love Nico Hischer as a player. I love, love, love Dawson Nurser as a player. And so playing with those two guys, it's a great spot for him, right? And I think he still has, like you watch him play, he definitely still has enough left in the tank. Now, I believe he's a he's a UFA after this season, and so he will almost surely be on a different team because they're going to have to use that whatever 4 or $5 million salary he has Um to pay both Meyer and Brad this summer. But for the rest of this season, uh, he's certainly in a good spot. So, yeah, I, I kind of like that call because he's he's generally, even when he's been putting up bigger point totals, he's I feel like he's often been a player that's kind of like overlooked or not appreciated, even back when he was at his prime. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, with the Canadians, he was like a sneaky goal scorer, even with you know, the few years that he had with uh, Detroit. It's just a, a top six that I think you want to keep your eye on. Oh, yeah. I mentioned there could be some juggling there and, and maybe Plot finds himself back inside the top six. I mean, he's... This is a guy that's played with some very skilled players over the course of his career. I mean, he fit in beautifully. A lot of people can next to Nikita Kucherov and Braden Point, but you know he's got a lot of experience, and I think come close to playoffs, this is a guy that is going to be leaned on a little bit. And at times, he was, you know, just recently before the the deal with Timo Meyer, he was playing next to Jack Hughes, and he was starting to hit the score sheet, throws his body around. And those that are playing a banger leagues with hits and and things like that, he can help you out. And it's top six, I think you want to keep your eye on down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. I have some notes here on the Coyotes. I know not not a uh, not a fantasy hockey um, you know haven by any means, it. but here's the thing: we talk about opportunity all the time, and especially for some of these bad teams, I think people generally kind of shy away from them, right? Because it's not a trendy or a very desirable spot, and you're not going to be one of watching a lot of their games. And so I think you know players just trying to shy away from that. But you look since the deadline, so they, you know, Jacob Chikrin wasn't playing for a while because they were sitting him out for trade related reasons. But both him and Gosses Bear were their top two most heavily used players this season, and especially in scoring roles. You take them out, all of a sudden, a guy like Yusuf Alamaki, his usage before that was 16.33 per game. In the three games since, he's playing 22.47, including quarterbacking the top power play unit. I know it's been a while since he was kind of like a highly regarded prospect, but he, to my eyes, looked pretty good this season. And I think if anyone, you know, gets to play in those minutes, it's not going to be the most, uh, you know, high octane offense, but they will get theirs eventually, especially if they're playing in some of these games where they're already down right out of the gate. 
and the other team lets up a little bit and they can kind of squeeze back in a game. So I like Balamaki there, especially if you're playing in leagues that like value ice time and stuff, because I think he's going to have an opportunity to accumulate stuff. But even like a JJ Moser is getting more usage. I don't know. I just think when you remove the top two defensemen off a team, there's going to be clear beneficiaries. And in this case, it seems like Balamaki is kind of soaking up pretty much the entirety of it. Yeah, he is. He's a guy that I own actually in a lot of formats. I had him on my list. It's like the last low-key guy that, you know, is definitely available. I mean, his ownership is 10%. And uh, I have him in a lot of leagues that I account for blocks. So, I mean, this is an Arizona team that they allow a lot. You know, not breaking any news here, but, you know, six block shots against the Devils. You get a matchup against a team that can control the pace, control the, you know, the puck and own the puck, you are going to rack up some blocks. But he is playing and getting some power play opportunity, and you mentioned the guys that they lost, right? Like Shane Gossespierre is off to a great start in Carolina, but you got to think the minutes come down a little bit. Is he going to be that productive? I know that they have a loaded squad playing on the second power play. I think I think all of his points have come on the power play, actually, his first three games with Carolina. And same thing with, um, you know, Jacob Trickin. Really fine player, goes to a great team. The minutes are not going to be there. The same usage that he had in Arizona is not going to be the same, and it does open up the door for a guy like Balanaki. There's a lot of players here. Like Clayton Keller doesn't get the love that he deserves. He's basically a point per game guy all year long. Nick Schmoltz has been a basically a point per game guy since the start of last season. Nobody really wants a piece of Nick Schmaltz. These guys are are definitely available in fantasy hockey leagues. They get plus money on all of their point props. They seem to hit the score sheet almost every other night. And Barrett Hayton is a guy that Eric and I have talked a lot about on Dangle Batselli over the past little bit. I mean, not too far removed from being a top pick, really getting an opportunity this season there's been a lot of games over the past month 21 minutes 22 minutes he's got 10 goals two goals over his last few games i mean he's hit the score sheet here in seven of his last uh, 10 hockey games he's going to win you double digit faceoffs here and there as well if you're playing in those formats you're right you're right to bring up these guys and think nobody wants them you're not wrong people don't look at these coyote players and think that they can provide something but they're they're their first line really good even lost some crowds yeah sneaky little player as well well, the thing with Hayden is, yeah, I mean, he's centering Keller and Schmaltz right now. He's on the top unit power play. I think the opportunity is certainly there. And if you look kind of at his career, um, this is sort of not to say he's still super young. Not So not to say this is his last opportunity, but, you know, Logan Cooley is coming. Uh, they've drafted a bunch of centers. They're presumably going to have another really high pick again. And if it's in the top three, it'll probably be another, uh, you know, center that's coming for his job. And so this is like, this is a chance for him here to... Um, you know, carve out a real role for himself, produce, um, you know, show them something. And so I, I I like the spot for him a lot because, I mean, you watch that chemistry between Keller and Schmaltz and anyone sharing the ice with them is going to be in a good spot because the passing between those two guys is just, out, you know, terrific right now. So it can get lost in the shuffle a little bit. It's like, oh, the Coyotes lost 6-2 to two tonight, but both those goals came from that combination and whoever was on the ice with them will stand to benefit so i think it's a great spot for both hayden and valamaggy because they're generally on the ice with those guys yeah and let me give you to another guy on a bad hockey team and it, you know he really hasn't benefited from any trades but michael matheson with mm-hmm. the montreal Canadiens, and his ownership is 25 percent in yahoo leagues it's just too low for a guy that played 27 53 the other night yeah. he's averaging nearly 28 minutes over the last of five games and he's hit the score sheet in seven of his last nine his shot prop is always plus money you don't really think about a defenseman in terms of shot props there's only a couple Shea Theodore comes to mind and I'm not comparing the two but Shea Theodore loves to join the rush Uh, he's a great skater and Michael Matheson is the same way this is a guy that is a a terrific skater he's on that first power play the Canadians have the most man games missed they got a very very young blue line 
Justin Barron and Keegan Gooley are guys that are, are now day-to-day with an injury. The ice time is not going to go away for Michael Matheson. Uh, and he's a guy that's hitting the score sheet in seven straight games. He's had at least three shots. One game he had six, one game he had five. So he's a guy that's really just getting an opportunity and somebody you wouldn't really think of, you know, to pick up because the Canadians are not going to score a lot of goals. They're not a great hockey team, but surprisingly, he is a plus five. But I don't think you need to worry about plus minus too much, but uh, he does. He's on the right side of it, at least. Yeah. But it's really all about opportunity and, and volume in these games. Yeah. Yeah. The volume and, and that usage is just music to my ears. So I, I certainly co-sign that one. All right. Uh, Meanie, this is a blast. I'll let you on the way out here uh, plug some stuff and let the n- listeners know where they can check you out. Yeah, I appreciate it. You know, we're talking a lot of fantasy hockey here. I got a free uh, fantasy hockey just playoff draft kit over at uh, ftnfantasy.com. I broke down every single week. I got uh, every week broken down, four game streams for every week. And uh, something I like to do is uh, attack the schedule. Always busy nights on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. So if you're looking ahead, and that's what you should do, look ahead on a Monday or a Sunday night at your lineup for the week. If there's an average player that's not that you won't get in your starting lineup on a Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, I have you covered with like lower end guys that are going to play on those lighter nights on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I think that's the best way to get the best out of your your league mates and your opponents. So ftmfantasy.com for that. And Dangle Bet Sally is twice a week. We'll be uh, with everybody until that Stanley Cup is raised, breaking down all the game from a fantasy standpoint. Just a fun hockey show, a, a couple NHL props and bets in there as well. And uh, do appreciate it, man. Mean Streets five days a week as well. Just a multi-sport show. We're get, we're diving deep into the baseball as we're just a couple weeks away from opening day but it's a, it's a show that we cover all sports and uh, you know that I, I bleed hockey so it's a it's a hockey central show but we yeah that's in a couple other sports as well appreciate awesome it. man well i highly recommend everyone checks that out it was awesome having you uh this is our last pdo cast for a little bit here uh, i'm taking a break myself one of my best friends is getting married in new zealand so i'm going to be out of commission for two weeks uh so just wanted to give that programming note we're going to be back on monday march 27th and at that point, I'm going to be freshly rested, ready to go, and we're going to start gearing up for what should be an awesome stretch run and an amazing postseason in the NHL. So looking forward to that. I'll certainly have you back on. Uh, maybe when we get closer to the playoffs, we'll maybe do like a kind of like a playoff draft or something or players uh, people should be looking for. Um, so yeah, until then, uh, thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. And thank you to everyone for listening to the Hockey PDO cast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.